I just say welcome everyone. Um, I've started, I pushed the button to start recording. So we're good to start. Okay. Uh, Jessica, I think you found the thing to read. Yes, I did. Good evening. I have some ground rules for today's meeting to share. Uh, my name is Jessica Mortinger and I'm the transportation planning manager and I am accompanied tonight by Ashley Breyers, uh, transportation planner. And if Nick gets here, we will work alongside Nick or, or Josh uh, as chair or vice chair to kind of help facilitate the meeting proceedings today. Um, this meeting is being recorded and will be uploaded um, to the city's YouTube channel at a later date. Um, during this meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you're muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. We may mute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn on and off the video by clicking the video icon. Um, keep your video on, please if you can this evening while you're participating. Um, if you're participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, you can um, toggle between speaker and gallery view um, to see either the active speaker or all gallery for the meeting participants. Um, Ashley, has anyone signed up this evening to comment? Okay, no one has signed up at this time and there's no one present in person. I guess no one signed up to comment when I checked at about four o'clock. There are okay. a few more people on here that were not registered okay. at that time. So Okay, so if you have comments, we can do that at the discretion of the chair as part of that process this evening. Um, we um, will, did, did Nick join us yet? I think Hi, he Nick. just hopped on. Okay. You see Josh hasn't made it yet. He has no mic. Nick, are you there? Okay, we'll give him a second to figure that out. We'll go ahead. There he is. Sorry, I'm having some major technical difficulties here. Can everybody hear me? <laughs> yes. All right, cool. Uh, I just did inter I just did um, the ground rules. So if you would like, we can do introductions. Sounds good. Nick Kuzmiak, current uh, chair. Is that the term we're using for? Of oh, the Pedestrian Plan Steering Committee. Let's go around the um, room and do introductions. This is always tricky because everybody's Brady Bunch panel is kind of different. So uh, I'm going to go in the order that we have. So Jessica, can you go first? Sure. Jessica Moringer, Transportation Planning Manager. Ashley? Ashley Breyers, Transportation Planner. David? Uh, David Carter, uh, Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Cl uh, Planning Commission. Kevin? Uh, yeah, Kevin Smith um, with uh, Independent Sinks Access Task Force. Abilities Task Force. Josh, are you there? Nope. Okay. Adam. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager for the City of Lawrence. Dot. Uh, you're muted, Dot. 
Dotnary Healthy Built Environment Work Group with Live Well Lawrence. I uh, live well Douglas County. <laughs> Althea. Althea Schnocky, member at large. Max. Uh, Max Schieber, uh, KU Transportation Services. Okay. Gregory. Gregory Critzler with uh, Multimodal Transit Station. All right, uh, Frankie. I'm Frankie Haynes. I'm with Lawrence Public Library and the Human Services Coalition. Okay, Ari. Make sure I'm making sure that I'm actually addressing people who are on the committee and not members of the public, I guess. Uh, so I just want to remind myself of all of who's on here. So okay. Ari is our intern and I think they're helping Josh right now. That makes sense, okay. Mackenzie, I know you're here as a public. Uh, Lance, however, is on the committee. Lance, if you're speaking, you're muted. Maybe having technical troubles too. Hi. Oh, there you are. Lance is here. Hi, Lance. And you're representing PTAC, right? Yeah. Okay. Public Transit Advisory Committee. Uh, Jenny Kramer? Uh, I guess member of public, right? Yes. Hi, okay. um, Jenny Kramer. I am with KDOT. I'm the Bicycle and Pedestrian Coordinator. Uh, okay. Apologies. I, okay. And Laura? Laura McCulloch with Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. Okay. Um, Pat, are you joining as a Member of the public? Uh, I'm just here as the alternate for MMTC. So okay. I see you both are here, but I'm, I'm interested. So I guess, yeah, I'm member of the public for, for today. <laughs> okay. And JT, I uh, need to introduce yourself if you want to, but I see you on. So welcome. Okay. Um, in that case, with introductions complete, let's move on to. Uh, receiving the meeting notes. Do we need to approve any of these or just receive them? Nope, as a steering committee, generally, we just have um, members receive um, the notes from the meeting. Okay. And it's a, it's a recording, so it's time-stamped. Cool. One, one uh, thing, Nick, uh, did David introduce himself? Uh, yes, I did. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Yep. Okay. And, uh, Jessica, have you already gone over the ground rules of having to state your name and I suppose affiliation before you speak? Yes. Well, I'll start doing that. <laughs> so, Nick Kuzmiak, uh, I guess pedestrian plan steering committee chair. Um, gonna move on to the agenda items. So agenda item number one is a discussion of the draft scope of work of our steering committee. So I believe this is probably gonna be led by you, Jessica or Ashley yes. or? Okay. Yep, Ashley and I are going to alternate. Ashley's going to share her screen for us this evening to look at this item. So we, what we've put together for you um, is to follow up on the conversation that we had last month. Um, 
And it's the more public-facing document that is our um, summary scope of work document that we um, are looking for your final feedback on this evening as we begin to move forward with the progress on this plan. So this hopefully and uh, is a, a publicly consumable um, scope of work that lays out kind of where we are, um, what the background is, and the warrants for this work. Um, the planning context, some of that is content you're going to have seen already um, that we talked about in more detail so far in the draft um, existing conditions that we laid out last time. And then um, in, as a follow-up to the conversation we had, um, we shaped a few of these um, uh, work tasks that we are planning um, actively to make sure that we accom uh, get accomplished as part of this process. Um, we then have laid out what we're envisioning as the planning process um, to do this plan. Um, and so we really envision this all encompassed as a four to six month process. Um, it's pretty ambitious, but it's the reason why in month two, you're already seeing what we're presenting as a draft survey that we're hoping to go um, start very soon um, with, that, with that process. Um, uh, and you can see where we are here, uh, signified in orange, um, and where we've kind of been and will continue to evolve and then work through kind of each of those elements of research and drafting the plan um, based on that task list of work that we envision to be part of this scope. So um, this is pretty typical um, of MPO planning processes. So if you're familiar with that, you, you may be familiar with this. If not, um, we, um, we call out where we're looking at community engagement. So one of the things we'll talk about next um, is what our plan for that is in more detail um, extensively. And then also um, talk, and yeah, and so part of this uh, scope of work, and if you're if you followed any city conversations lately, um, is the move to following the International Association of Public Participation engagement process spectrum. Um, and it has differing levels of engagement. Um, and so you can see us engaging with you as the steering committee, we see it hopefully at a collaborate level and our um, involvement with the public and it involve and collaborate. And so this gives a little detail about what we mean by that. Um, and as, as part of, um, of the scope of work. So we're laying kind of it all out there so people can see what they can expect as some different parts of the process and how they're in, how we will use what strategies um, to do that work. So I would entertain any questions or discussion you have about this document we've put together um, to present um, as content from as the scope of work as we begin our process. Hey, Kuzmiak, steering committee chair. So I'd like to start by opening the floor up for questions, comments. I think just as a just starting a discussion topic here, based on our discussion last, when was the last meeting, last month? Based on that last discussion that we have, um, do you feel that the issues that you raised as things that we need to work on have been incorporated into the document? Now, I personally forget everything that I brought up, but if there was some issue that you think was particularly important, it'd be good to kind of read this over and make sure either now or later that it indeed is in the document. Um, so I guess any, any comments on that first? 
Um, I, I appreciate that the plan lays out the improvements that have been made to show progress, because I think it's always nice to start with that there has been a lot of progress since the last plan. Um, and I, I think it does capture pretty well what we talked about. I had a couple of questions. Um, one, one is about um, in point and the things to be additional planning work. It says coordinate with the ongoing ADA transition implementation and plans for a 2023 ADA planning for the public right away. Could you just touch on that a little? I'm not yeah. sure what that means. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. I'm sorry, I should have introduced myself, Dot Nary, HBE Plan. Um, yeah, Dot. So that is, um, in part of our conversation with the staff advisor team, we found out from the City of Lawrence ADA coordinator that there is ongoing work right now in in processing an update to the ADA transition plan for services and facilities. And they have planned in the 2023 capital improvement um, plan, a uh, plan to um, complete the ADA plan for the transition plan for the public right away. And so they have already begun some of that process of uh, collecting LIDAR data of sidewalk condition and analyzing that to determine um, the accuracy, um, some of the obviously implement implementation of um, for transition to ADA is you know, some of their existing programs like sidewalk improvement program where they're working on hazards, although that's not full ADA because it doesn't address always cross slope in every location on blocks. But um, there's some transition in that program this year. Um, and so I think part of what we envision this pedestrian plan to do is not replicate those processes, but recognize they are coming. There's work being done currently and there's additional work being done that will be outside of the scope of this work that we'll want to make sure that we're coordinating with what's already happening um, and recognizing if there's something we see that needs to happen to call that out um, as a recommendation so we can make sure we draw attention to it when those future planning processes are going to happen. Thank you. That's helpful. Kuzmiak, pedestrian uh, plan steering committee chair. <clears throat> um, I had a quick question here, maybe. Does the, um, let me see, sorry, on page three, there's a paragraph about the various entities and groups that are going to need to review and approve the final phase pedestrian plan. I don't see planning commission's title up there. And I guess I'm wondering what your thoughts are, Jessica, and also David, if you think this sufficiently falls under your scope. I realize that things like sidewalks, bike lanes do come into your scope when we're talking subdivision regulations, but then when we're talking kind of longer range planning, that's MMTC. So I'm trying to figure out if it makes sense for planning commission. My thoughts are definitely because transportation and land use are inextricably linked. So if, if we don't tackle land use, then, you know, walkability may suffer. So anyway, thoughts? Nick, could I ask you to point to the page again, please? Three. <laughs> Thank you. So 
David, you can still comment, but Jessica Martin, your transportation planning manager, I guess I would say, Nick, none of the mode specific plans go to planning commission and under their authority, they traditionally haven't. Um, if they do, we, we present to them more in their mid-month fashion um, for informational purposes. Um, all of our plans um, get incorporated into transport the long-range transportation plan, transportation 2040 currently, and or our future trans long-range transportation plan, transportation 2050, and thereby also get incorporated into plan 2040. Um, and so there is a process for that, but there isn't a mechanism or lever really that has been about seeking approval from planning commission. Um, we can have the conversation about what that relationship looks like, although there isn't a formal requirement process in our our current format to do that to do that they the planning commission does approve the long-range transportation plan so uh, uh david carter uh planning commissioner here um i just to want to piggyback on what jessica said i think um it, it's kind of baked into the process that we follow already um you know we we approved plan 2040 uh, a couple of years ago and we do have these periodic check-ins um, uh, with Jessica and other uh, uh, transportation planners. Uh, we approve um, uh, transportation, you know, the, the, the comprehensive transportation plans. And then there's just my presence here. So, I mean, I think ensuring that somebody from planning from the planning commission is participating in this process, I think that's where it, uh, it comes in from my point of view. Excuse me. I Chair. Um, okay. I, I can understand that. It sounds like then from a procedural standpoint, it probably doesn't make sense to do so. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's probably fine. I think the only concern I have is that if we do want to start pushing a little bit more progressive on, you know, how planning and land use does affect walking, then it may start to butt up against your jurisdiction a little bit. Like if, for example, one of the recommendations is, you know, Sidewalks are great and all, but if you have nowhere to go, it doesn't really matter. So like if it if it comes to be that, you know, maybe putting giant parking lots in between the sidewalk and the entrance of Target isn't a great idea. Maybe planning commission needs to consider, you know, a text amendment that stops that, right? Or maybe disallowing small commercial uses near single family homes mm -hmm. is preventing people from being able to walk to daily errands. That will pretty quickly go to planning commission to try to yay or nay, I'm assuming. So... Um, I can see a couple of recommendations that may be a little bit more in your jurisdiction than you may have planned for when first signing up for this. I don't know. And Jessica Moore, your transportation planning manager, I would point out for everybody's point of reference, next year will be a pivotal year for planning commission in their work as the city embarks on a process in the capital improvement plan to update the land development code. Um, and that process will impact many of the things, Nick, that you're talking about. And that would really be, regardless of some of the recommendations that get written into this, that public process hopefully can in elevate those community conversations around the ways that um, land use and transportation interact to move us towards some of the goals that have been identified in the long range plans. So I'm very hopeful that the timing is right for that. Um, and there will be a lot of momentum and opportunity to have that happen in the next, over the next years. Excuse me, Chair. Um, that actually is a good segue to the other question I had around, around planning, which was, do we, do we need to, 
make it explicit that this concurrent effort is happening that may have a great effect on this. Um, and that pedestrian plane is gonna possibly, I don't know, that there, there may be some sort of interchange of ideas, right? Um, does it make sense to explicitly state that as like, this is a big thing to watch out for as we're going through this and it will probably slide into it somehow. Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. Yeah, I think it actually may be appropriate after this, now this is the second time we've kind of talked about it, that maybe that's something we mention in terms of coordinating within some of that conversation. We can add that as one of the, we can add that as one of the, where we're working, talking about coordinating with brick streets and sidewalks as it relates to sidewalk improvement and um, ADA that maybe also the process to update land development code should be included in that. Although, I'm not sure how much overlap we'll have in that. So that's probably why it hasn't been so, so much included um, because we're really envisioning, I mean, that process really plans to start next year. And this process we really envision to really be done before next year gets into too much full of a swing, but we will add it. Thank you for the clarification. Uh, Nick Kuzmiak, Chair. Does anybody else have any um, specific questions and just to kind of maybe jog your ideas here for the group that you represent, do you think there's anything that could be more explicit, less explicit um, in terms of how it's mentioned of how walkability sort of interlocks with the group that you represent? This is Dot Neri from the Healthy Built Environment Work Group. I had a question about um, the third point of um, activities to engage in about evaluating, evaluating national best practices for walkability. I looked at the last walkability report and um, I see some things that we've already done that would improve that. Who, who works on that or who oversees it or initiates it? Because I think that's something the HBE would be interested in working on. Because um, it addresses... We're, we're at a silver level, we'd want to move up and it's everything from tree coverage to bus stop accessibility, those types of things. So I just wanted some background on that. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. It's a private program and I had to go look it up who it yeah. was, who it's run by, but, um, and we updated that in the existing conditions report. Um, and I, I'm not gonna remember off the top of my head, but Ashley could probably pull it up. And, uh, but they have a checklist just like bike friendly communities. Um, and as part of that, they've given us some feedback, but one of the things that we recognized in all of their reports is they profile other cities that are at all of the levels of recognition across mm -hmm. on their website. And we um, thought, you know, there are communities that rank higher than us, and that would be a really good approach to evaluating some of the policies or programs that those communities have taken that they're getting recognized for in terms of pedestrian um, friendliness. Um, and so that was what we envisioned there. That's a process um, that's an application-based process. Every few years you get rec, you apply and you, it has a lot of very specific questions that it's asking mm -hmm. you in terms of a survey, in terms of policies and procedures for a lot, a lot, a lot of different things. Um, and then they give you back a report card. Um, and so They've given us some things which you which you know you know you can notice there's a lot of things if you look at that list of stuff we've done that um, won't have been mentioned in the last evaluation that will uh, the city of Lawrence um, works oftentimes with us as the MPO um, to collect the data from the 
pedestrian planning process or from other op operations, whether that be uh, law enforcement or municipal services and operations or parks and recreation, because it's a very multifaceted application. Um, and we put that data and information together to submit it. I am not aware of what the timeline is for that, but we can follow up with Healthy Built Environment about that if you're interested for yeah. next time that happens. Right. Thanks. Excuse me, Chair, any other questions, comments on the draft scope of work? We'll say one additional thing. So Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager. So um, even if there are not some things that are super explicit, I think if things come up in the process, we want you to still uh, bring those to our attention. Um, Dot did that already and ha we had a conversation about um, you know, user behavior in terms of people blocking alleys uh, or blocking driveways, excuse me, which block sidewalks um, and thinking about some of those user behavior things, whether it's snow or weather or tree coverage and thinking about how that pro programmatically impacts walkability. I think some of those things are some of the minutia that will that are important uh, to deal with and impact people's actual access to stuff. So I would say that and that's valuable in the process. Um, one of the things that we we have on here at a high level, and let me give you an example of this, as we talked last time about signalized uh, um, intersections, we talked about um, the controlled crossing improvements and signalized intersections. And we've realized that municipal services and operations and their signal coordination has updated about 48% of the signals to meet the current standards for pedestrian timing. They have another 38 planned for this year. Um, and then we'll just leave a handful uh, left and for future years. So as part of the conversation we had last time, one of the follow-up actions that we've done is, and what we're finishing up on is going out to visit some of those. Um, Dot went with us and we invited the city ADA coordinator to join us as well um, to go test out some of those signal timings to see if they meet the expectations um, of a diverse group of people who are using those uh, crossings. And so we're hoping that that experience will help feed some of the conversation. So I think things like that that come up as part of this group are provide opportunities for us to explore things, um, to one, better understand them and to understand um, based on that experience okay, so what's, is it a perception issue? Is it education? Is there a standard change? Do we need to call for an additional recommendation for something as part of the plan? And we are open to all of those ideas. So um, we will explore whatever we can. So I just want to add that in there um, as part of that and kind of how we are, we are trying to listen to what you're telling us and be able to respond to that as we move forward in this process. Uh, Josh Spence, Vice Chair, PN, uh, uh, representing uh, LAND, which is the Lawrence Association of uh, Neighborhoods, and then Pinckney Neighborhood Association as Vice President, and then Vice Chair for the Pedestrian Plan Steering Committee here. Uh, one of the things I think, as I've said, is, as I know has been addressed already, is the ADA and 
also the timing on a lot of the crossings here in town because I did go around and in different areas of Lawrence and test crossing times and I've seen a couple areas where I think uh, the timing could be lengthened. Especially on 6th Street over on 23rd and Louisiana. And then there was a couple other ones that I'm not remembering off the top of my head right now. And then there's some areas where better safety, like in my neighborhood, 4th and Main and 4th and Michigan are, are, and then also a little farther down on Michigan near 3rd Street. Those areas, the crossings there are real risky and they're not the most pedestrian friendly for being able to cross safely. Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager. Josh, we will we will send you an email and let's go visit let's go out and visit one together so we're all on the same page about where we're at and where that's changed based on your experience so we can experience that together. Would you be willing to do that with us? Okay. We'll be in touch to take a site visit. That offer is open to anyone else too if you would like to test it out where we would invite you to come with us. Kuzmiak, Steering Committee Chair. As I've had a chance to read over this while, um, while I'm kind of listening to other comments and it's and, uh, kind of feeding off of that, I noticed that the, let's see, towards the bottom of page two, there's a, a bullet that says, identify and prioritize pedestrian crossing locations and improvements for inclusion in the non-motorized prioritization process. Ensure the street design criteria has pedestrian friendly design elements and pedestrian safety crossing improvement options. Um, so as I'm reading that, I've, I've kind of gone down a bit of a rabbit hole recently in reading more about truly multimodal street design from a, like, like an engineering standpoint and a psychological standpoint, and that there are different ways to design a street for kind of who's on the top of the food chain. So the way that we design our streets in the U.S., as most of you, I'm sure, are pretty aware, is that cars are kind of first and getting traffic through is the most important thing. And forgiveness for mistakes by car drivers is the most important thing. Whereas forgiveness for people who are on foot and maybe misstep or looking at their phone, not a lot of forgiveness for that. So it kind of shows you who the streets are truly designed for. So I know this is kind of pedantic, but writing it such as it is here where it says pedestrian friendly design elements, it sounds more like we're accommodating pedestrians, but it is not really a pedestrian realm here, which is, is true if you look at the current state of streets, right? But I think if, if we want to be bold, there's a chance that, I don't know how much ad- appetite there is for this on the rest of the steering committee, but depending on your views of how important pedestrians should be with regard to other street users, I wonder if there's a way to be a little bit more bold in our language and say, not only are we gonna be pedestrian friendly and accommodating pedestrians, you know, it's like saying, I'm environmentally friendly, like not recycle, but realistically, am I, you know, am I really doing as much as somebody who maybe has a totally different lifestyle built around environmentally friendliness? Probably not. Right. I think it's kind of the same thing here is that pedestrian friendly is like, you know, it's, it's a start, right. But how, how bold do we want to be and say that pedestrians are true equal users of streets instead of just guests in occasionally hostile territory. 
I'd be curious to hear from folks who who aren't regular drivers on that. Because um, as a regular driver, I'm not sure I'm fully qualified to say that, at least in Lawrence. But um, I don't know. Any thoughts on going above and beyond here? Um, Frankie Haynes, uh, Human Services Coalition. Um, Nick, I love that thought process. Um, you know, something that I'm kind of chewing on today, I have a friend who's been hit by a car walking more than once in East Lawrence. Um, and she was hit yesterday. Um, and I mean, I just, I don't know what to do. And she's, she's crossing at stop signs, you know, um, you know, four-way stops where people are supposed to stop and they just don't, they just turn, you know, or do whatever they do. And, you know, I'm not a city planner, so I can't say, you know, the best way to mitigate that. But I do like where you're coming from because, you know, we say that we're pedestrian friendly and that we want to be more pedestrian friendly, but what does that really mean? And how can we be, like you said, how can we go above and beyond and really make this a welcoming place for pedestrians instead of just like, oh, well, there are pedestrians too next to the cars. Um, and I'm kind of both. I am definitely a frequent car user, but somebody who um, walks a lot, um, that's like my main way of relaxing and my main form of exercise. So I do walk around Lawrence pretty frequently. Um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely see what you mean that cars come first when it comes to convenience and getting to places. Um, and yeah, anyway, I just like the idea of going above and beyond, but I don't know, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. So hopefully we can kind of tease that out. Lance Fay here, uh, representing Public Transit Advisory Committee and also speaking on myself. Um, so there, uh, in terms of the document that we're talking about, uh, I'm not, I'm not seeing a whole lot of discrepancies in the language so far as I've seen it. But I think as we move forward, how we present things, uh, there is definitely a, an ongoing concern about uh, not just uh, how, oh, not just how we serve things, but um, the 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 actual uh, bricks on the pavement, or should I say, not so much bricks, uh, the, the actual brick and mortar stuff that we're talking about overseeing done. Uh, the actual infrastructure stuff. And that's, that's something we really need to kind of think about because uh, I, I, if you want to hear from somebody that is a lifelong pedestrian and bus rider, I will say that there are certain things that work great and certain things that don't. And uh, without getting too long winded about it tonight, I think we could probably talk more about things like, do we replace brick sidewalks with brick sidewalks or not? Uh, how do we make sure corners are set up? Uh, what do we want to accommodate or not regarding bus stops? And uh, also maybe what uh, public policy is regarding driver behavior. Uh, there's a lot of things. So uh, as far as a document goes, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm seeing a whole lot of problems, but it's more how it's worked out and handled and enforced or not. That's, I guess that's where I'm at. Thank you. 
Excuse me, Chair. Lance, you brought up something that I don't know if we did bring up in the last meeting, but I think is maybe worthy of inclusion, even on a broad scale here, and that is the public policy around drivers. Um, drivers being kind of the greatest threat to walkers for the most part. Um, as I'm sure a lot of you are, are, are aware, if a driver strikes and kills somebody, it's not homicide. It's not even like, I forget what it's charged as, but it's way less severe than actual homicide. And I mean, even traffic- Vehicular manslaughter. Vehicular manslaughter, yeah. And I think it carries a significantly lower sense. Um, and I, I think part of that is due to historical lobbying by AAA, the, the uh, same folks who made jaywalking a, uh, a, a criminal offense, right? So I think there's maybe work that could be done in trying to solve not only the, you know, I would say more more vulnerable classes of road users, but also make it a little bit difficult to be careless and kind of get away with it, right? Um, so, I mean, is there a way that we can incorporate at all any sort of look at the car part of the equation? Um, for example, traffic enforcement. I believe the police department disbanded their traffic enforcement to, to division a few years ago. I don't know if they've rebanded together. And I don't even know if necessarily in the new paradigm of, you know, heightened awareness over unpleasant traffic stops and encounters, if that's even the answer. I just think without regular enforcement of bad driving behavior, pedestrians are more at risk, right? Um, if people who are on stop signs aren't, if there isn't negative reinforcement there, it'll probably continue. Same with speeding. Um, so I don't know if that is appropriate to put in here, but I think we'd be remiss to not be thinking about it because it is, I would say, part of the safety of walkability. Hi, Frankie Haynes, uh, Human Services Coalition. I just had a quick question. This is something that I'm really, I, I don't know much about, but um, are some of our major traffic stops, are they monitored by cameras? Is that a thing that Lawrence does? Um, I'm, I'm just curious because, you know, actually seeing people hitting pedestrians and seeing the conditions under which that happened, you know, do we, do we have access to that? Do we do that? Yeah. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, transportation planning manager. So many of the signals that you see in upgraded technology, they have transitioned over time from the in-ground loop detection. So your massive vehicle metal pulls over the what's embedded in the ground, which detects that you're at the signal, which helps with queuing of the signals um, to video detection. So if you look up at some signals across town and um, there's video detection. And so that helps because if you're a bicycle, it helps with video, you know, detecting you as opposed to requiring a big mass of metal. Um, those cameras um, are part of the tra our traffic operations um, unit, and I believe law enforcement has access to those cameras, although they don't record. Mm -hmm. They have some. They have a policy about how they about how they do that, and so it's not available. Like they feed some of them out to a camera that's available to the public, so they do like winter weather traffic operations and and such like that. There's not video enforcement, so. Mm -hmm. Like in some states, you'll see like a red light cameras or speeding cameras and you can get automated ticketing um, for enforcement um, of those things. Kansas, it's my understanding, has those uh, that outlet for um, for video enforcement. And so uh, as a state, um, we have chosen not to do that. Yeah, that's that was my understanding. And I was just double checking. And of course, either way, you know, it's a can of worms either way. So I understand mm -hmm. the perspective of both sides here. Um, but I was just curious because I didn't know. So thank you. Yep. 
I know uh, Lance Faye, DTAC here. Um, I know there's video cameras in other cities in Kansas. Um, and whether that is, you know, it, something we need to discuss in, in terms of enforcement of traffic laws, you know, that's, that's uh, but I don't know that it's a statewide thing. I just know it's not real prevalent right here in Lawrence right now. Nick Kuzmiak, Chair. Do we think that there's enough kind of related topics here? I think we've so far talked about traffic cameras, video enforcement, or the lack thereof, consequences for people driving cars who kind of screw up, and um, just general legal policy related things. Do we think there's a, enough there to consider adding an additional bullet point under, let me make sure I get it right here. Underneath the, the following topics have been discussed as needing additional planning work. Do we think as a, as a steering committee, there's enough there that we might want to add that to scope and potentially, you know, consulting with the public on that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, um, Frankie Haynes, uh, Human Services Coalition. I mean, I definitely think that there is, but also I, you know, I go back to the paradigm shift that you talk about with law enforcement and how this could snowball into something that we didn't intend it to be. So, I mean, if we if we do add this bullet point and we go down this road, I feel like we should tread carefully because on the one hand, I do think it's important to hold drivers who drive recklessly accountable. But on the other hand, I don't want it to be used against people who aren't, you know, who are disproportionately policed, you know. Uh, Lance Faye, on behalf of PTAC, I think I kind of agree in the sense that we it probably should be added, uh, but in the context of something to be considered and discussed and do be careful how we don't want it to take over everything else, uh, but it is something that could be kind of, you know, as, as an area of concern that maybe should be added as, as such. Jessica Mortinger, transportation planning manager. So I guess in my mind, maybe it falls under that kind of our national best practices for walkability. So one of the things when we get to the survey, we're going to ask people about a barrier to them walking. And there are some choices within those responses that get at some of these things around driver behavior. Um, and so think about that when we get to that question, um, because I do think as we get that feedback back from the public that um, that that would be a good indicator when we hear some of those types of things that maybe like the existing neighborhood traffic management uh, program, which has been rolled out and reduced speed limits to 25. And um, part of the results of what's happened with that in terms of what people responded in terms of how it altered their behavior, maybe that's the type of thing where we can talk about as a solution. Maybe there needs to be, it needs to go beyond just a neighborhood program for local streets. Maybe there needs to be a conversation about what we get into expand um, some of the, some of those things. And I, and I do agree um, with Frankie's comments, I think, you know, um, as far as traffic enforcement has gone, we know that even, even the, the, the national safe routes to school program, the federal legislation has not taken out safety, although, or has not taken out enforcement. They've left safety, excuse me, I misspoke. Um, but they have, 
their, the coalition that uh, does a lot of the advocacy for that group, the, the National Safe Routes to uh, School Coalition, has removed enforcement as one of the tenants of the program for safe routes um, and transitioned it to engagement, um, primarily around the concerns about the impacts, who, who is most impacted by um, traffic stops. And so we will, obviously, safety is still of concern and I'm not sure what the answer is uh, without enforcement in some sort. So I think that's still going to have to be on the table because we know there are some techniques that work. Um, but there's even things like speed feedback signs, which Lawrence hasn't used um, um, very much, although we have some new ones as part of the neighborhood traffic management program, that there are some options like that that I think just even alerting drivers um, have been effective in some places at slowing speeds. So. Yeah, um, Frankie Haynes, Human Services Coalition. Um, I love that, you know, the juxtaposition of enforcement versus engagement, because we all know that people tend to respond better to positive, you know, positive feedback rather than negative feedback. So that kind of makes sense. And, you know, again, I like I like this idea of it falling under the umbrella of best practices, because we could definitely look into things that have worked for other cities when it comes to encouraging safe driving behavior, um, because the psychology of that, I'm sure, is complicated. I and mean, people, people are complicated. <laughs> so, yeah, but I do like that, um, that engagement aspect. Uh, Dot Neri, Healthy Built Environment. Before we move on, I, I wanted to go to, back to Nick's suggestion about the fourth point, the second sentence, and maybe strengthening that to talk more about um, ensuring equal safety and rights of pedestrians and other users, something like that. Maybe something stronger, but I think, I think that's an important statement to make, and I think it moves us toward a more walkable community. This is Laura McCulloch with Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. And I just wanted to bring up something that um, has come to mind today that I don't know was discussed last time. Um, and that is in a lot of different neighborhoods, um, a lot of cars are parking on the streets and that causes lack of visibility um, for people who are walking on the streets. And so, especially if a car is going rather fast, that's an issue. But in addition to that, it pushes people out into the street if there's not sidewalks within that neighborhood. I live in a neighborhood like that and several of the streets around me are like that too. So I just wanted to bring that up as an environmental factor and I'm not sure what the, the best approach to address that is. Nick, is me or, actually, uh, go, no, go, Nick, go ahead, go ahead. That's okay. Sorry, I was just gonna say I'm I'm pretty sure that will fall under street design standards. Um, street design standards will dictate where you can park, how wide the street is, where sidewalks are. So I think that should fall under there, but it's definitely good to keep in mind. So thank you for bringing that up. Sorry, Frankie. No, no. Um, uh, Frankie Haynes, Human Services Coalition. I was just gonna say, um, Laura, that's a great point. I've noticed that as well. Um, um, I, there's this particular spot in Old West Lawrence. Um, close to where I walk all the time. And there's, I really like, it should be a four-way stop, but it isn't a four-way stop, but because of the visibility, it really should be because you can't in a car or as a person see cars coming on either side because of the parking on both sides of the street. Um, so I've definitely noticed that as well. And it's something to consider. Kuzmiak, Chair, I have one more thing. Um, and I think that is um, 
school related stuff. So there's nobody on this committee who explicitly represents USD 497 or school children. Jessica, I think you're probably actually the closest to safe routes to school related stuff here. So you're probably more qualified to comment on this, but I, I realize this is something that we have improved in the past few years greatly, thanks to your leadership, but is there a need to keep it as one of those topics that we can continue to push forward on in terms of not only making safe routes, but actually encouraging children and parents to use those safe routes and to get more involved in you know, developing a safe way to get to school? Or do you think it's already on its way enough that we don't really need to include it? Uh, Jessica Moringer, Transportation Planning Manager. So the Safe Routes to School plan is pretty new um, and its implementation is underway in a, in a variety of different ways. Um, and I think that there is a separate framework now um, because of the an, a memorandum, memorandum of understanding between USD 497 and the city of Lawrence, that there's ongoing partnership and working to implement um, some of the strategies in those plans. We would envision the pedestrian plan to be consistent um, with safe routes to school, but not to do additional safe routes to school work. We think it's going to be a you know, a big win to have the process we have around safe routes where there provides opportunities to amend those plans uh, when different thresholds happen in relation to school boundary changes um, or population changes or other other things that are allowed for as part of that plan and implementing like school area traffic control. Um, this will probably be consistent with that, but we don't envision this to be specifically targeted, targeted at students, more at community at large. And so, I, you know, if we found something in this that we thought would be beneficial to that, we can approach that as we get to that. Although we at the MPO in partnership with the Safe Routes to School Working Group envision the Safe Routes to School plan to be now um, updated in our five-year process like the other modal plans. So we feel like that's probably an adequate time to um, track what's happened um, in terms of improvements and then go and do another process that's targeted to parents and students at that time. Thank you, Mayor. Sure. Okay, that sounds good. Sounds like it's, you know, obviously being quite covered. And as long as we just loop in coordination, which is already in there, then I'm fine by that. So no problem there. And, and Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager, I will note that like Laura McCulloch, who you just heard speak, she's on our, she represents public health on that work group. And so um, she would uh, be included in that. And they're working on some of the different implementation things as well with the school districts. Sounds good. Um, any further comments on the draft scope of work? I think we've gotten a pretty good discussion here. All right, well, if not, then let's say we can close this one out and move on to the next agenda. Oh, wait, do we need to vote? It doesn't look like it, right? Just a committee. <laughs> All right, in that case, we're gonna move on to agenda item number two, the draft spectrum of public outreach strategies discussion. So um, Jessica or Ashley, please take it away. All right, this, that'll be me. I'm Ashley Briars, Transportation Planner. And earlier I shared the link to this. Uh, it looks like Max found it, but um, I can share it again if you'd like, but you can add sticky notes to this as we're going along. If you think of anything uh, like I am, you just double click and then they show up. So just so you know, thought I should explain that. So the draft, Spectrum of Public Outreach is this document. And Jessica mentioned that the city has moved towards the International Association of Public Participation framework for public engagement. And so 
that's what we're doing with this planning process. And part of that process is having these four different categories of inform, consult, involve, or collaborate. And we've used each of these later on in the table there. And so you can see what the goals are. Inform to provide the public with balanced and objective information, consult, uh, obtain feedback, involve, work directly, and collaborate partner. And so we have this table here and we are saying that the steering committee is a collaborative process because we're gathering information from you and you're helping us form all of this. And then this is broken up per phase. So phase one existing conditions, we're working on a video, we're gonna do all these things here soon once we finish up the existing conditions document, which we'll talk about later. And then we're going to jump into phase two, which is the survey work and community engagement work that uh, we'll also talk about in a second. So the plan survey is currently set to go from October 20th to November 14th. And we want to do a huge push and go everywhere that we can to get input from people on this survey because this will really help us know what people want. And we want the plan to reflect the community's desires. And so down below here, we have a list of places that we're considering and reaching out to. And part of the conversation here is, do you have places that we should go or meetings that are already existing that we could attend? We would love to know about that so we could add that to our list. Um, the next phase here is phase three, which is research and draft. So our plan is to work on the draft elements. So the, uh, these portions, the part on the chart there, and provide them as they're completed to you all to review them. So hopefully then it will be just a few pages at a time so you can look at them and then provide feedback. And then we'll talk about them all together uh, on our next or at our next steering committee meeting. And then we'll go into the phase four, which will be drafting or people commenting on the draft plan and going through this process again, similar to what we did with the survey, but not quite as much because the survey is the real meat of when we need to get input from people. And then phase five is the plan approval. And you can see here, inform, consult, involve, collaborate, and X is indicating which ones are what. And like I mentioned, here's all the places that we're looking at going. So I'm gonna go back to here. And if you all could provide ideas of places we should go, uh, we would really appreciate that. Um, hi, Frankie Haynes, uh, Human Services Coalition and uh, Lawrence Public Library. I really like the list that you have thus far. Um, we're also kind of, we're, we're getting ready to do a community needs survey. So we've been kind of um, thinking about this as well. Um, but the first thing that comes to mind for me here is making sure that you table somewhere where people walk to, where people are likely to be being pedestrians. And so I think that it's important to table downtown, even if there's no event. Um, and But the library also does outreach downtown uh, on Monday nights when it's not uh, bad weather outside. Um, I'm trying to think, but I'm sure there's an event that you can couple up with. Um, I don't know if downtown is still doing trick-or-treating this year or not. Um, I thought, I saw maybe not. Um, yeah, but 
as you as you've written, Lawrence Public Library is doing tr- a trick or treating event, um, and yeah. Anyway, I just think it's important to think about where do people walk to where we can where can we catch people walking and they're thinking about this because I think that's a great way to come to um, attack come after this. You know what I mean? Um, and already these these places are great places because a lot of people walk to the library. And a lot of people like the Sunrise Project, Just Food, those are all great. So yeah, just thinking of more places that people are walking at or walking to. Yeah, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. I I have the misfortune of always following up on Frankie so far because I think um, that idea of where people are already walking as opposed to where people are stationary is really important. Like in front of the courthouse, where you're likely to have high volume of pedestrian traffic already. I think that would be really good. Yeah. Like South park comes to mind mm-hmm. in general, exactly. like all the downtown parks in general. I mean, the levee trail, I mean, maybe it would be creepy, but lots of people use the levee trail. And a lot of those people are frequent pedestrians um, and the street. trails, ninth street, the trails by the wetlands. Um, I mean, any number of trails, that's where you're going to find your walkers. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, thank you. Last year with p I would say also some of the grocery stores, uh, shopping areas where uh, people congregate would be good. Uh, Ashley Bryce, Transportation Planner, we have tried the grocery stores in the past and it's not worked out well because people have wanted to get in and out with groceries rather than talking with us. Um, but the farmer's market has worked really well for us. And so we're, we're going to do that again, uh, for sure. Uh, Althea, you were starting to say something. Uh, I was, and what I was going to say is the grocery stores and like Walmart and Target, the big box stores. Mm-hmm. We've heard that a bunch and we might have to try it again. This is just the Morton Transportation Planning Manager. It was painful the last time we did it. Um, Like, but we can try it. We'll try it. um, Somebody suggested, I believe it was Lauren or uh, before that maybe it'd be good to try like when the library is at checkers to do it like when somebody else is already there um, for a thing Mm -hmm. where they also attract um, people too. So we'll look for some opportunities or if we need to fill in some gaps. This is Laura McCulloch with Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. Something else came to mind to me and I wanted to ask, is this survey gonna be available in Spanish? Uh, Ash Ryers, Transportation Planner. I don't know if we've discussed that. Um, Okay, well, I was thinking um, with the kind of like Mexican grocery stores and that sort of thing, those are like community centers for people. And that might be true of other culturally specific stores. I'm not sure, that's just what I know. Um, And so um, like, for example, I speak Spanish, so I could like table at an event like that if we needed somebody to volunteer to help with the Spanish speaking population. And there might be other people like that, but I think getting um, their voices in there will be important um, to make sure we're reaching that community to the Spanish speaking community. Um, Frankie Haynes, uh, Human Services Coalition, um, and piggybacking on what Laura said, um, places of um, places of worship. I feel like 
folks are more inclined to be leisurely. I know it, you, it was painful at the table at grocery stores, and I relate to that. Um, I understand that that might be painful, but, you know, I think that like finding somebody at, like at their church or at their synagogue, um, so on, that might be a, a good place to catch people when they're in the mood to chat, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, this is Dot Neri from the Healthy Built Environment. I was thinking of the same thing like downtown on a Sunday morning, sort of near Wheatfields, there's like four churches there and people do walk around. So, of course, it's always easy to suggest things when you don't have to go out on a Sunday morning and do it. So, I recognize that. And do you have the Dare Center on here? Sorry, I'm Frankie Haynes. Do you have, yeah, Dare? Cool. Uh, Althea at large. Um, maybe targeting the shelter and dare centers because yeah they be non-drivers that the population just specifically target yeah hey kuzmiak chair um i saw that you had just food on there for the mobile shelter um but i think just maybe being at just food you may have a decent amount of people who some of them are going to be going in and out for groceries fairly quickly, but some also may be, you know, lingering for other services or, you know, something like that. So maybe just food. The other yeah. one. Oh, sorry. sorry. I was just gonna say that's worked well for us uh, oh, really? in the past. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking there's a, one more final Friday uh, for the year. And I think it's kind of back in action now. Since you have a lot of other downtown places, the warehouse arts district might not be a bad place to set up in front of, say, like art emergency or or even at um, right in front of the, the cider gallery or LBC or something. There's a, usually a lot of foot traffic during that. Yeah. But I certainly appreciate everybody's uh, idea. It's been very productive. <laughs> so let's keep it going, Lance. Hey, uh, Lance, Faye, Lance Faye with the PTAC here. Um, so what is already being done to say, communicate with the school, the uh, high school, middle school community uh, and reach out what, what could be done to get input from whether it be the students or the parents of the students? Because that's a lot of traffic. Yeah, Frankie Haynes. Um... That's a great idea. I mean, I, I hope that you could just go and table because there are lots of, especially, you know, middle school and up students who are walking back and forth to school. And then over at Free State, you know, students who leave campus to go get food and are walking. And that's definitely a place where it's harder to walk. You know, West Lawrence is just harder to walk, wider streets, so on and so forth. But yeah, that's a great point. Oh, and I sent this to Ashley uh, in direct chat, but I thought we could take advantage of this time of year and you could table at Shaky's Pumpkin Patch. You can definitely catch people in a good mood there. On the day tomorrow, or on Saturday. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Dot Neri, Healthy Built Environment. I would definitely contact the Self-Advocate Coalition of Kansas. Um, it's not a big group, but I think they have a lot of outreach. And um, these are folks who may probably don't drive and um, use the bus system a lot or walk.
Uh, Ashley Breyer's Transportation Blender. Thank you. This is amazing to have all these uh, ideas. Um, there'll be a lot to follow up on, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> well, and not to cut you off if you have any other ones. Sorry, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. I just thought of one more, and that's the uh, Burroughs Creek Trail. Tons it was of bumping last night. It was bumping. <laughs> there were so many pedestrians out there. Felt like a party. Thank you, Kuzmiak Chair. I would say um, to avoid completely overloading staff with places to table. Um, <laughs> We should, we should probably cut it here. Also, I think you're starting to run out of room on this particular column. I guess, quick question to finish up. I Apologies if we've gone over this already, but is tabling expected to be a responsibility of committee members as well? Are you hoping it is? Are you expecting it'll be? I, I don't think there was any expectation given out earlier. So um, I don't know. How can we get involved, right? right. Can we join you at a tabling event? So Ashley Breyer's transportation planner. Yes, we did not say that we were expecting you to do this, but this is a lot of places to go. And so we wouldn't turn, turn you down if you wanted to help us. Sorry, the lights went out on me again. Um, Jessica, do you want to talk? <laughs> Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. So we have invited um, many of our robust um, interdepartmental staff team um, to help us accommodate some of this tabling um, workload. Um, and so there we can, um, particularly if you're interested, um, we wouldn't want to put you in a situation where you're alone, but um, with another staff member um, to accompany um us um, to help talk to people and collect surveys and do that uh, process as we do that, we can send out a list of opportunities if people are interested in doing that work. It often helps as a committee member to hear a bunch of firsthand perspectives. Um, we try to do a very robust job of documenting what we hear from the public, both in survey results, but also just in written comments or emails or uh, documented correspondence from conversations um, and include that in the planning process. But it is very valuable um, for you to hear that sometimes as well um, than just reading a list of all the comments later. So I would encourage you if you haven't done that, um, even to help us, even if you can't come to a set event, um, to help us within all of your networks. You all exist and within networks that have certain vested interest in this type of work and um, helping us to get engagement um, using the tool that we develop um, is, a, is a great benefit to everyone. The Kuzmiak chair, I agree. And I think one of the parts I'd like to emphasize from the, I guess, agenda material that was on there is that there's there's this opportunity and sort of a bit of an imperative almost to go back to the groups that we represent and have a discussion with them. So, you know, for myself, for example, that would be at the MMTC meeting trying to get a study study session agenda item or regular agenda item just to make sure that the rest of the group is aware of what's going on and maybe solicit further ideas of how we can improve this, right? So that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping all of us can take on and you know, start to get the word out. I think with that, we can probably move on to agenda item three, would you say? Yes, thank you again for all your input. Yeah, that was a, uh, that was a very lively discussion again. So far, so good, right? Two out of two. Number three is the draft survey discussion. Sorry, a spider. Um, 
So it looks like you'll have put together a pretty solid survey already. Are you basically asking for feedback, um, suggestions? Yes, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. So let's take an opportunity to walk through this a little bit where we have tried to be very intentional thinking about the scope of work um, that we've drafted and what are the items that really intentionally, if we're asking the public to weigh in on these questions, what are the things that um, this process is prepared to take that feedback and allow it to, and be, to influence the decision and the output of uh, where we're trying to go in that uh, process. Um, and so um, we're very thoughtful in that sense, but we wanted to hear first kind of about where people stand based on what we had as the previous vision and how much support there was for that um, vision, um, just to kind of renew that uh, vision and kind of that consistency, I think, with some of the other longer range plans. Very specifically, we identified in the first bullet wanting to identify what the long-term vision is um, for, for sidewalk network um, in terms of gap infill and as redevelopment happens. Um, and so both for new and infill development, there's been plenty of conversations, particularly as part of the affordable housing conversation. There was a conversation about um, maybe rolling back the requirement to require sidewalks on both sides of the streets. Um, and so I think recognizing that, you know, we're on, we're on both sides of the spectrum. We've heard these community conversations wanting to really clearly ask people both for, um, in new development and in infill development, where do they envision sidewalk on one side, both sides, no sidewalk or don't know in may, on major streets, on collector streets and on local streets to see how that changes. We asked a similar question during Safe Routes to School um, that yielded in us advocating for gap infill on both sides of collectors and arterials, but on one side of local for Safe Routes to School where there are currently no sidewalks, assuming that one side was continuous. So this, um, I think, we want to kind of gauge this because there have been those questions as part of other process about what's appropriate. Um, and so this hopefully clearly lays that out and asks that question. Um, then we have some questions that are a little bit similar to some stuff we asked in the Safe Routes to School process. Um, and Frankie, I think this gets at some of your conversation um, that we've had around some neighborhoods where there isn't sidewalk and there's street parking and or there's no uh, curb and gutter stormwater enclosed like open ditch so um what how would people feel comfortable looking at these this type of street which is more like a yield roadway on a neighborhood or local street and so understanding where people may fall on that spectrum of whether or not this is comfortable or not or appropriate or not um kind of gives us i think an idea about where we're at on on that. And these are, and this is like, like that an advisory shoulder where there's a painted space. Um, and then sometimes the center, center lane spaces, um, the cars can go into the painted space because those are dash lines, but they're to yield to pedestrians. It's more of like a, a yield um, roadway, but with a, with the shoulder can, environment being for um, people to walk and bike. So thinking about those. Um, recognizing that we have that we've that we are going to be looking at um, crossings um, and some crossing locations to prioritize for some additional design evaluation or safety evaluation in terms of um, future improvement consideration um, for crossings. And so, uh, this is something I think people will really want to provide us. Some people might have a list of more than three, but uh, to kind of understand if we can 
because we can geocode these to see where the predominance of responses comes up about what crossings they feel um, need improvements for safety or comfort um, to kind of understand. We can pair this with technical data from our pedestrian model to kind of, I think, make a decision about what, where we want to go in terms of prioritizing a list, but I think it gives a way that people can weigh in and we can prioritize um, some of that from the feedback as well. Um, this gets up, this is that question I was mentioning earlier where we're asking about what makes it difficult or unpleasant to walk or wheel. And um, many of these, um, I think based on if we ask people to choose top three, um, gives us a ranked list of kind of what people identify as barriers for them uh, selves um, or in the community. And that can really, I think, help us um, either prioritize or understand where people are facing challenges in regard to both current and proposed recommendations um, that we have. So um, there's one about drivers and speed. There's about not yielding, not stopping for people crossing streets. So there's some driver behavior stuff there. And I think this is kind of an indication of where we see this, some of this uh, popping up there's, you know, but tied back to design safety of crossing needs improvement or distance is too far. I mean, there's a lot of different items here that I think then we can drill down into in terms of um, targeting some recommendations that can hope to address some of these. Um, we, but so I guess when you started this thing, this is just kind of what we laid out based on what we've looked at for the scope of work. And then we have some kind of typical demographic questions that we ask in a lot of our transportation planning uh, work so we can understand who we're hearing from in the community and what's self-selected um, and to understand kind of like if we're targeting a diverse um, spectrum of responses, if we need to do some additional targeting um, to make sure we have a diversity in, in who is responding to us and weighing in on this process. And then we've left a, um, we can adjust the spacing here because maybe we haven't left this big enough or we'll have additional paper, but um, is there anything else not included in the survey you'd like to tell us or about existing programs or projects? And so we've included the list of existing programs or projects that were, that we've mentioned in the existing conditions for the most part. So if people wanna weigh in on specific things related to those things, we can understand um, where they might fall or what they might wanna tell us in regard to that. So in regard to this, this is just, this is our draft. Um, recognizing we are on a tight timeline, but we are welcome to, if you want to wordsmith something with us, if you want to have a conversation about it, you didn't ask this, why not? Can we ask this? Um, we would entertain any of those conversations. We think this question is silly. Whatever. Thank you, Kuzmiak, Chair. Just to kind of guide this discussion to, I don't know if it even makes sense, but I, I'm going to do my best here. If, if we can keep it to a logical order, maybe let's go section by section and see if, if, if there's any discussion that arises on these things. If there are some that are sort of across different sections, we can get those at the end, but let's try to focus on kind of individual questions about what's included, what's not included in, in, in these sections. So I would like to start off, start with 1A and 1B, because those are pretty similar to each other. I'll just throw it out there. I got to be honest with you, if somebody asked me off the top of my head what was in the 2016 vision, I probably wouldn't know. So I think that that may be a good question for people who are really familiar with stuff, but I worry that they may get lost in a paper survey. I think on Lawrence Listens, you could, of course, have a link on there, but it may be, a, I'm not sure you're going to get a lot of information on that one. So um, 
I'm open to, you know, other, other avenues there here. Yeah, David Carter, uh, Planning Commissioner, I, I would just say, if you moved the scale of strongly opposed to strongly support after question 1B, then 1A and 1B will flow together because you, you say right there what the 2016 vision is, and then 1B could say, you know, what's missing from this vision or something like that. And that shows just how easy to be tripped up. You're right. It's right there. <laughs> and I got so distracted by the scale in the middle that I completely forgot about it. So that, yeah. That's a better refinement than my comment. Thank you. Any other thoughts on 1A, 1B? Um, this is not critical, but I noticed that this uses the word walk and then lower um, some of the other questions use walk or wheel. I think it might be good to maybe put a little definition of walking it includes walking or using a mobility device. Um, so it's uniform throughout. And if you define it right up front, it might be helpful. Thank you, Doc. Jessica Martin, planning manager. I think we've tried to get more savvy in our language, recognizing that about people as we learn too. And obviously we didn't do that in 2016. So um, we can do definitely do that. This is Laura McCulloch with Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. Um, I just want to comment on the suggestion about moving the scale beneath 1B. I worry that if the scale is put under 1B, that people will be confused about how they're, like, what they're answering, because there's two questions there, and the scale would be right below a second question. Oh. So um, just thinking about you know, um, literacy and thinking about, you know, in, in literacy concepts, it makes sense to put the um, response right next to the question. Fair enough. Nick Kuzmiak, Chair, it sounds like almost like a graphic design issue. <laughs> like if there's mm -hmm. a way that we can somehow tie 1A and 1B together, but not make the gray box distracting, I think we can kind of solve all these issues. So I'm sure we have some talented graphic designers at the city, right? Okay, any other comments, questions on the first two sub questions? Okay. In that case, Ashley, once you're done typing, if you could scroll down, please, to the, the twos. All right, so I'd like to open this one up with questions on, on here. I think I mentioned last time my, my predilection for reading this, uh, this website in nonprofit Strong Towns. They have a really interesting article relatively recently that was titled something relatively inflammatory, like why most public engagement is useless or worse than useless. It's kind of a harsh way to start out. But one of the examples that they cited was that in using planning or engineering jargon, you tend to confuse people, kind of isolate, um, I guess, the terminology from the actual issue. And sometimes it kind of helps to think, how would my grandma talk about this, right? So I would never talk with my grandma about arterials or collector streets. What I would talk to her about is major roads or neighborhood streets or mid-sized streets. I don't know. I, I feel like there's there's got to be a better lay person way of speaking about this. And I, I understand that you do have the description there and the examples, but I almost wonder if, if it could be sort of switched where 2A, for example, could say, like, I believe major through roads, you know, just kind of choosing a thing here, should be blah, blah, blah. And then have an asterisk and on the side and say, like, major through roads officially are called major streets in the city streets plan and their high capacity urban roads, just in case you want to learn more, right? Um, but... I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking that using more normal people language could help. Um, I don't know. 
uh, Mike, uh, Josh Spence, PNA Land uh, Pedestrian Planning Steering Committee Vice Chair. Uh, my concern is if we get too much language in there that it could be too confusing for them. Excuse me, Chair. Josh, are you thinking that could an idea to reduce the amount of language maybe just be to get rid of the colored boxes? Um, because though they're useful, they're not necessarily questions that you have to answer. It's more like reference material. So I wonder if we could also change new development and infill development, which are kind of planning terms to, um, I don't know, new parts of town or established neighborhoods or you know something else that people might use in their daily life. Um, Josh, do you think that getting rid of those boxes would help kind of uh, focus here? Uh, yeah, because it's like I'm looking at it as, uh, as from, uh, you know, it's like from, you know, as someone that has disabilities where it would be distracting having those side boxes with this uh, instead of, because it's like if it gets too much, it can be real, real distracting and make it harder for the person to be able to go through and kind of think and understand it. Sorry, to, to me to cut you off, I was just gonna say, I'm certainly glad to have that perspective here because it's not something that everybody may think about. So um, any other comments on the twos? Yeah, David Carter, planning commissioner here. I, I, my feeling about the, um, the boxes is that it's partially just a, an issue of graphic design again, that if, those are kept in a margin consistently off to the side. And, and instead of calling more attention to themselves are calling less attention to themselves, like using more gray text or smaller type where the, the survey is, you know, is, is calling most of the attention to itself. Um, I wonder about even instead of using um, euphemisms or something for the planning terms, just saying things like streets like sixth street or 23rd street streets like, you know, uh, um, and I don't know, it's the smaller they get, the harder it is to, to, um, to find examples that everybody's going to know. But uh, maybe by the time you do get to, you know, what, what, what are the terms, you know, neighborhood streets or um, then, then the, the terms are maybe a little bit more intuitive. Um, but at least for the major, like arterials and collectors, I'd agree that even though the explanation's there, it's just more time, it's more cross-referencing, and it may be more useful to say streets like, you know, and then name a couple of arterials or name a couple of collectors. Lance Faye, uh, representing PTAC. Uh, hey, for, as terms, uh, for terminology, using the more simple terminology describing streets, I think is, is best for the purposes of, you know, survey and getting public input. Uh, the, the more technical terms are going to confuse some people or just disinterest others. I also like the idea of taking the, uh, the boxes of reference and keeping them in a margin. Uh, keep your print and font size reasonably good sized for you know, people that don't see so well. But... Uh, the uh, that's a good idea, but I also, yeah, language should be pretty simple and to the point uh, for purposes of the survey. 
Uh, hey, I got to leave you here in just a couple minutes. But the other thing I want to add to this is at the very end where you have the add your own comments, allow as much space for that as possible and kind of say something encouraging people to write their own comments. Because I think you'll get some things that you would not otherwise get and just encourage that, please. Thank you. Thanks, Lance. And if you think about anything later, um, I guess if you, if it's not too late, if you want to like email us after the meeting and let us know what, what else could be changed. So. Threes it is. Um, let's go down to threes if that's all right. And all right, I'm going to, start off here using my privileges to chair. Um, I, I really like the visual preference survey. I feel like it's been effective in other surveys that we've done, like uh, downtown master plan, stuff like that. Um, here, here's something a little bold though. I think everything you're showing is, I don't know if it's all in Lawrence, but it definitely all looks like it's in the US. I wonder if, if this is our opportunity to maybe kind of test the waters for more progressive style streets, or even traditional, depending on how you look at it, that are even more, not just pedestrian friendly, but pedestrian primary. Um, ones that come to mind, for example, uh, you actually already have one right there, is the Yield Roadway is a really good example. Um, so I'm gonna bring it up on my screen to make sure I can see it correctly. So the Yield Roadway is, oh no, advisory shoulder, that's what I was looking at, sorry. Um, those are really popular in, the Netherlands. And I feel like there could be a lot of good street view pictures you might be able to get out of those if you want to show that two cars can easily pass and there are bikers and tractors even. They're, they're really common in rural areas. Um, the other one was for the, let's see, the first kind of called Yield Roadway. So Yield Roadway, I think, is that a Wunerf? Is that is that just the more technical definition of a, a Dutch style Wunerf? It's kind of what it looks like. And if so, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, a picture of a Dutch winner could be a, a good idea. Um, Japan also has tons of these kind of streets where they're so small that there are ostensibly concrete tiles at the edge that could be sidewalks, but people are just walking all over the place because it's so slow um, that most users feel comfortable at, at any point on the street. So um, I think now that I have talked it out, I think you do have two pretty progressive styles of streets Jessica, I'm kind of curious from your standpoint, are, are there any others that you maybe considered including, but were like, it's a little too out there? No, Jessica Martin's your transportation planning manager. No, these are the two um, that I think, you know, they exist naturally in places, neighborhoods that don't have sidewalks oftentimes are operating under um, these conditions. Um, of course, maybe maybe with, with or without um, painted shoulders where there's a smaller lane space. But I think this is trying to ask people that visual preference to get them to see how comfortable these are as alternatives. I think this paired with the conversation, the questions before about thinking about what the long-term vision is for stuff helps maybe guide what some of that, what's appropriate for design. Um, I don't, these are, both of these street types are in approved design guides um, that exist, that are reasonably acceptable in the United States. Um, 
there, uh, some of these pictures are actually from the rural and yeah, the NACTO urban street design guide. Um, there's also uh, rural and small town uh, street design guidelines, which is more appropriate kind of for rural areas or neighborhood stuff where it's uh, small streets where you're not thinking about a lot of throughput. It's more about um, access um, for households. So th these are the ones that we found that are really kind of some ideas that really they already exist in in functionality. Um, and it's trying to understand how people feel about them in relation to kind of the other question about thinking about a long-term vision. Yeah, David Carter, uh, planning commissioner again. Um, I think my, I, I really like using the photographs. My only kind of nitpicky complaint is the predominance of shadows in a lot of the photos. I think like the middle one, among the um, the yield roadway is really hard. It takes a lot of work to figure out what it's actually showing. Like there's a pedestrian there, right there that you can only barely see. And then all three of the, um, what is it called again? The um, the uh, advisory shoulder, you know, they're, they're okay, but they're just, if there are any higher quality images would be really great. <laughs> This is Lauren McCulloch with Lauren Seglis County Public Health. I just had this thought that I wonder if there would be a benefit, and this might be too much data, to um, adding a comment section below each of these questions, like to understand what would make it more comfortable um, for somebody or, you know, understanding the apprehension and in, in saying that it's, it's more comfortable. Yeah, I think, Laura, I think that's a good idea. It's always nice to give people a box to type if they, you know, they want to share something about what you're taking to do that. I think our concern in some of that is we envision a lot of the part of this process to be paper survey. And so just recognizing that once we were already to four, two pages, both front and back, or four pages, and um, like, uh, Lance had mentioned earlier, leaving more room for that additional comment at the end. It kind of puts us in a place where we're balancing, like, what do we get for the most valuable content versus getting a survey that's too long and we have trouble getting people to take it? Nick Kuzmiak, Chair. Um, so. I I don't know if this is necessarily something that can be changed on the survey, but um, I think it's interesting that the the questions in part two, especially when uh, when related to local streets, basically say, do you want a sidewalk on one side or on two sides or no sides? Um, and I, I think then you get to the visual surveys and all of a sudden it's like, I don't know if that's even the same framework that we're talking about here. It's, it's all of a sudden a, like a truly shared space in some cases like the yield street or um, even if we're talking about bike lanes on the advisory shoulder, even those are kind of shared bike lanes, technically speaking. So um, I guess it's interesting that at one point we're kind of asking for what are your thoughts on the current state of affairs? And then part three is how would you feel if we move things forward a little bit? Or I guess kind of codified old school streets that, that already exist but aren't common. So I guess to, just a general comment that I think it's kind of a cool way to to go from here's the present, here's what the future could look like, are you interested? So I'm glad that's how it's been 
laid out. Um, any other questions on part three? Uh, I think my, uh, my wonder is wonder whether it would be a good idea to actually try to have examples of the, where on some of the stuff we're actually, because we do have some examples on the, of Yale streets and advisory shoulders to an extent here in Lawrence already that could be, uh, you know, to kind of make it more feel more like what we're, uh, we're looking to get input for. The Kuzmiak chair, I think for Yield Roadway, yeah, North Lawrence has a whole bunch and I think Brook Creek has a few. Advisory shoulder, I'm not so sure if we have those officially. Um, not necessarily, at least not marked that way. The only American cities I can think of that do have that, I feel like Grand Rapids or Kalamazoo. Somebody in Michigan has these. Maybe it's Ann Arbor. Um, I don't know. Uh, hi, um, this is Frankie Haynes with the Human Services Coalition. Um, I have to head out, but I'll take a look at this um, tomorrow and send you some comments on the remaining questions. Um, yeah, so I'll take a look at this during my workday tomorrow and I'll talk to you guys next month, next month. I think, or something. Right. Whenever I talk to you again. Contributions. <laughs> right. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Bye. Any more comments on part three, or shall we move on to four? All right, four it is. So I think this one's kind of interesting. And I know I keep invoking the, you know, the holy land of the Netherlands in terms of in terms of being progressive on multimodal stuff, but it, it's kind of hard not to in these cases. The majority of low speed intersections in the Netherlands aren't signalized. There's no traffic light, no yield sign, no stop sign, no nothing. You just slow down because you have no idea what's gonna happen. So you pretty much have to slow down. It feels dangerous, therefore you drive more safely. And I don't know if there's a way that we can really ask that here, but like, in my mind, I'm thinking, is there an unsignalized intersection that actually feels safer because it's unsignalized <laughs> because people are so confused? Um, the street I used to live on, 4th and, or yeah, 4th uh, Street in Alabama, it's a T intersection with not great visibility and zero stop signs whatsoever. People generally, you know, I didn't hear a crash the three years I was there, so it must work. It's just, it's strange and off-putting enough that sometimes the lack of signage can actually help people drive a little bit safer and pay more attention, so. Just a thought. I don't know if we're necessarily ready for that here, but something to think about. Nick, David here. Um, I, I, just to kind of amend your comment, I think if it feels as unsafe for the driver as it does for the pedestrian, I think that's because if, if it feels super safe for the driver uh, and they, they feel comfortable just barreling through, but the pedestrian doesn't, uh, doesn't feel safe, that's maybe it, going back to your issue of parity. Right. you know, um, e e e you know, equity between the pedestrian and the driver. Good clarification, thank you. Any other comments on part four specifically? Okay, let's go on to part five. I have a feeling this will generate some discussion. Um, just start off again as, as a matter of force, I guess. Um, there's a couple ones I, I thought that I have come across for when I hear people saying well, why they don't walk. And I some could be just amended or modified versions of what's already here. Some might need to be 
new. I don't know. It's it's up to y'all. But one of the ones was uh, weather or just it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too rainy, it's too snowy. I think lack of shade or conditions that are slippery when wet, that's basically it. But I wonder if there's a way to say like uncomfortable weather, you know, because sometimes it's just not fun to walk. And if you have a choice, you might choose not to. Um, so Nick, we just come more into transportation planning manager. We talked about that with the staff team and um, we worded it in this way because those are things we could fix. We can't fix weather. So we tried to intentionally um, kind of, we left another and people can explain, but we didn't do things we couldn't fix. Um, like we tried to choose things that if people indicate something, it can tell us something that can maybe give us insight about where we should work towards in terms of reducing barriers or making environments more pleasant. I think some weather conditions you could, well, obviously you can't fix the weather, but you can mitigate the weather, like the kind of relatively low cost awnings that are all throughout Singapore or the heated sidewalks that you see in, uh, I think Holland, Michigan has those, or that's all I got for right now. But yeah. there are ways of mitigating kind of crappy weather that that can be done. They're not cheap, but, you know, um, yeah, I can understand why that might not be good to include. The other one was um, for why I don't walk. Driving is so convenient. That's why I don't walk. It's really easy to find parking everywhere and it's cheap. I can park at my house. I can park at my destination, three steps in front of where I'm going. I, I know not all Laurentians share that, but having lived in way bigger cities, it's it's a dream to drive here. It's so easy. So that's why I don't walk, generally speaking. Um, and that is technically something within our power. And this is incumbent on both MMTC and planning commission as to why driving is so convenient. Minimum mastery parking requirements, David, uh, for your crew and for us, it's lane widths. And um, yeah, I think those are the two big things. It's easy to drive. Another one I was thinking of is lack of sidewalk amenities. I feel like that might already be on here and I may just not be seeing it, but things like I like to have trash cans and benches and art and trees, you know, stuff like that. Things that make sidewalks kind of almost like a linear park, right? Um, th this one's kind of weird for Lawrence, but steep slopes and steps. Near the KU campus, things get pretty gnarly. And over here on Delaware Street, there's a surprising amount of steps for, for Kansas, right? So um, that's probably under maybe sidewalk safety or mobility limitations, but I don't know. It, it probably doesn't really need to be worked in, but steep slopes are often a reason why a lot of people choose not to walk in cities that have a lot of steep slopes. All right, I will cede the floor. Who else has good suggestions here? Um, this is Dot Neri from the Healthy Built Environment Work Group. I think number four, um, you can't fix mobility limitations. I think that needs to focus on the environment. Um, something about the environment makes it difficult to um, be a pedestrian. So just, just switch that around a little. I can suggest some language. And, and David Carter there, I've got two specific ones. One is driveways crossing sidewalks or entrances into parking lots. Like 6th Street is a nightmare uh, between Maine and uh, Iowa. Um, I mean, it can be because you've got drivers, you know, crossing and not looking where they're going. Um, and the other is really common on one-way streets. Um, I'm not sure how to word this. Um, one-way streets that cause drivers to look the opposite direction of pedestrians. So like 7th and Tennessee, where thankfully there's new tra uh, uh, pedestrian crossing, 
can be a just a it can be crazy on the south south side of that street. Nick Kuzmiak, Chair, do you think we could modify number three to say, you know, it's not so much that it's like not stopping for people crossing streets, but sometimes even at stop signs, people are completely unaware that there's somebody who's either already in the street. I mean, people get hit at stop stop sign intersections, unfortunately, pretty often. So um, I don't know if we can work that in with the idea that people don't necessarily look always when turning onto a one-way street, but it seems similar to me. Any other suggested inclusions, amendments, changes? Althea Schnocky, I have a slight change to not have this be in alphabetical order because it looks like sidewalk, 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 right at the end. So mix it up so that people actually have to read everything while they're filling out the survey. As soon as you put it out, I can't not see it now. <laughs> that looks funny. Good, good call. Any other thoughts here? Um, just uh, Dot Nary, healthy built environment. I think it's not just missing curb ramps, but curb ramps that are in disrepair. Um, I've literally been bounced out of my wheelchair onto the pavement. This is Laura McCulloch with Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. I just had this thought, and I don't know that this is the best place to ask something like this, but um, something like there's not a trail next to my house or close to where I live or something like that. Nick Kuzmiak, Chair. Yeah, I think it's um, it, it sounded like you were going to maybe go to kind of a more broad interpretation of the survey, um, but I think that also would be a good inclusion here. I was gonna use that as a segue to say, are there any general questions about the survey? But if, if we wanna keep focusing on part five, that's okay too. Not hearing any people jumping at additional fives. Um, I'm not thinking we really need to do much about, I don't know, what do y'all think? Should we go on the demographic page here and see if there's anything that needs Adjusting, I don't personally have any issues with it, but does anybody see anything that's missing or could be improved? We really need to add, I feel like the demographic stuff, that's pretty standard stuff that's for a lot of the stuff that Lawrence does with their surveys. Yeah, David Carter, my only question is, is there significance between the ovals and the squares or is that just a uh, convenience? Uh, Ashley Breyer's transportation planner, yes. So that's something we just changed because of that. Uh, so if it's, it's a select all that, a that apply, it's a circle. And if it's a select one, it's a square. Thank you. Very clear. Kuzmiak, <laughs> Chair, I know this is really pedantic, but I feel like on most online surveys I've seen, usually the radio buttons are where you uh, have to select a single one in their circle. And when you want multiple, there's checkboxes that are square. It doesn't really matter. It's not like anybody's going to be like, oh, this is not conventional i but yeah just a thought <laughs> dot i wanted to get your opinion um do you think there needs to be some kind of would it help if there was some kind of self-identifying mobility limitation question on here 
I was just going to suggest that okay. because there are so many barriers. I think that would be worthwhile. I could try to craft one if that would be helpful, Jessica. Yes, please. Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager. We can also look at the recent ADA survey that they did mm -hmm. because they, I believe, had a way they asked something. Because you'd we'll want to include visual impairments, um, cognitive. I think you'd want to ask it broadly. But yes, Nick, I think that's a great idea. I'm always, I don't know, I try to be sensitive to stuff like that because I know that demographic identifiers can be you know, a sensitive subject. So I want somebody who knows what they're talking about to weigh in. No, I, I think there are so many barriers that um, including that population and identifying would be really helpful. Do we have any further questions on the demographic identification sheet or the final question, or do we want to just kind of finish up with broad comments here? Uh, just minutes, Vice Chair. I think we should just uh, leave, uh, finish with the, uh, the broad comments. Sounds good. Do you want to start us off? <laughs> if not, no worries. I had, a, I had a few to bring up here. Um, the first one I had was, so there was a couple questions that I don't really know where they fit. So I would be willing to kind of hear suggestions on if it's even important to ask these or how we could fit them in. So the first one is, I guess they're both kind of trade-offs here. So as I've kind of hinted at before, you know, there's a bit of this car dominance and that we build transportation infrastructure around cars, right? It's, it's going to be inconvenient if you're on foot, on bike, in a mobility device, on a bus. But part of making things better for other road users may mean making things more inconvenient for car users. That's a kind of a tough question because a lot of us have only ever known life in a car, right? It's, it's a huge part of American society and Canadian, but yeah. So the, the, the two questions that I had here that were along those lines, the first one is, would you be willing to have more enforcement of traffic violations if it meant safer walking? Um, and, and we've covered this earlier in our talk of the draft scope. And like a couple of you have noted, that's a touchy subject, right? But um, I mean, I think a lot of people who might be taking this survey may be drivers as well, right? So it'd be interesting to see if there are any people who have, you know, two or three or more cars, if they are actually willing to have more enforcement, if that means that their kids are safe walking, their grandparents are safer walking, right? Um, Ashley, I can send you that text if, if you want to. I know both of us talk fast here. So. The other one is, is it important enough to have a safe environment for walking that you would accept some inconvenience for car travel? Um, I think back to those two new street typologies that you have in the visual preference survey. Those are slightly more inconvenient for drivers, but they could be better for walkers depending on how they're implemented. So, I, I mean, I, I think you'll probably be able to pick up a little bit of that by parsing the data and the results that you get, but it might be interesting to just have a yes or no question or like a how much do you agree question on, you know, are you willing to trade off? So, um, Ashley, I'll send this to you, but feel free to pick Take those apart if you all have thoughts there. Now I feel like I'm taking the transit survey, right? Which was all trade-off questions. <laughs> it was a lot of trade-offs. <laughs> Coverage or frequency? What do you want? <laughs> um, 
Max Schieber, uh, KU Transportation Services. I think it might be helpful for that question to add examples on what would uh, be like the trade-off there. So like if it was, you know, slower, slower speeds or more crosswalks or something like that. Um, I don't know exactly what examples we want to use, but I think examples would be helpful. Thank you, Zmiak, Chair. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. And I don't know if that's one of the things that we want to I think the format you had for the 2016 plan might be good for that, as well as the final comment where there's like a big question in bold and then smaller text, not bold with like, here's what we mean. So it, it could be like video enforcement of traffic violations, which I feel like is, is, a, is a lot less possible to enforce racially, right? I mean, if it's, on, if it's all on video, you know, you can track if a car goes through or not, that's it. It could mean more expensive parking downtown, more strict enforcement of parking fines. It could mean reduced standards for minimum off-street parking requirements in new development and redevelopment. So planning commission stuff right there. It could mean narrower lane widths so that it's there's less of a moat that you have to cross when you cross a large street, but also you might drive slower because of smaller lane widths. Um, it might even mean really kind of technical stuff, like really tight turn radiuses when you are going off of a main street mm -hmm. onto a smaller street. So you have to slow down like carrying a wedding cake in the back of your car. Like makes, ninth in Tennessee. Yeah, it, it makes it much more difficult to take those turns at speed. Um, things like raised crosswalks, they're basically speed bumps, but they indicate that you are entering a pedestrian realm. Slow down or you're going to jump. I'm going to stop right there, Nick, David Carter. That was exactly what I was thinking about, about um, driveways crossing uh, sidewalks. Having the raised walkway that would set off the pedestrian space. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason that the Dutch don't have a lot of pedestrian deaths. They, they, they really demarcate bike and pedestrian space as like, you know, here, if you are a pedestrian, you have to walk down a ramp if it exists across the street and then back up again. So it's like you are entering a different realm of six inch vertical difference. In the Netherlands, you just keep on going and going and going, but the cars have to go up six inches and back down six inches. They are in your space. So it's kind of this question of primacy. Who's the most important, right? Is it people or vehicles? So Max, hopefully those were a couple of examples that you can kind of mull over. Um, I'm not saying we have to do all those. And Jessica and Ashley, I'm sure you all have a whole bunch from your expertise as well. We have any more questions or general comments? I, I, David Carter here. I, I wonder about that second issue. I mean, I love the, the, the observation of trade-offs. I wonder whether it is worth asking people at this phase whether they would accept those trade-offs um, or whether it's a matter of coming back with specific solutions later that implicitly convey these trade-offs. I like that idea. And that could even be the kind of thing that generates conversations at tabling events. Cause I mean, it's a lot more open-ended. There's a lot of options. And like you were saying, Jessica, the survey is pretty long already. It's already four pages. I don't think there's necessarily room for it. I just wanna make sure that we do make sure people are aware of the trade-offs in making a good walkable environment here. Um, yeah, Jessica Martin, transportation planning manager. I think the thing we have to be careful about is we, if we know that the solution to slowing speeds and fixing driver behavior is enforcement, 
then is it appropriate to ask the public if they would be willing to have more enforcement if it meant safer walking? Or is it our due diligence to recognize that there is a safety imperative and that needs to happen as a programmatic response to addressing the problem? And so it's one thing in, in the sense to get buy-in and ask some of those questions because you are trying to get people to think about those things versus where you're really thinking about how you intend to use that survey result um, to guide your future policy. If it's the solution you need, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where, you know, it's an unpop the most unpopular solution and you know that, but you now have to do it because you don't really have a choice if that's where you need to go to make an attempt. So we're a little bit, we'll be a little bit cautious just thinking about some of those things. Um, our next step will be to take all of your feedback and some of these conversations back to um, the staff team to get their feedback and thoughts about um, how we can uh, shape some of these edits into the survey before we take it out. Uh, it's at this time, I really do feel that Right now in Lawrence, we do have a lot of areas, way too many areas where there is a safety imperative, where something definitely needs to be done. Because especially for uh, cyclists and pedestrians, because it's like the way drivers treat it, like we're second class citizens and that we really don't have the right to, eat, uh, to be sharing the space or using any, even areas where it's designated. They just tend to, drivers just tend to not even care that we're there. And it's something that I've seen time and time again, that I've experienced or I've witnessed it happen. The Kuzmiak chair, um, I feel like we've probably covered everything. So it's all right with everybody. I'm going to close out this agenda item and move on to updates. Yeah, Ashley, I'll just take this real quick. Um, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager, we want to be respectful of your time. We're already over, but we wanted to let you know that we have um, revised the, based on the steering committee discussion and some of our continued work, the existing draft existing conditions memo. And so we'll continue to um, do that and um, report back to you some of the other memos as we get to that work. But um, we posted that online. So that's now available, not just on your agenda, but publicly on the website um, as we get into this process. And we'll refer people to that, hopefully, as part of one of the tools we're working on some boards that more graphically represent that for some of the work that we'll do um, in tabling and some committee meetings. And then I spoke a little bit about our traffic signal crossing experiences, but if anybody else is interested in um, having that experience with us, please let Ashley or I know, and we'll be scheduling those over the next week or two. Um, and we'll get you out on an you know, arterial or collector street crossing um, to look at what the timing is supposed to be, how it's supposed to work, um, to uh, share that experience with you. The Kuzmiak Chair, well, thank you for the updates and for everybody's participation. But before we go, Jessica, just to make sure, is this supposed to be an hour and a half meeting? Because I didn't see it on the agenda. And honestly, with MMTC and PTEC experience, well, MMTC, I just kind of keep going until it's done. So if it's supposed to be an hour and a half, I will do my best to actually keep it to an hour and a half in the future. I just, I kind of forgot about that. So apologies, everybody. That's good.
kind of how we scheduled it. I think, you know, if people had to drop off because of that, probably we, that's what we told people in terms of expectations, but um, we want to make sure we get the content covered. So if we need to adjust that in the future too, that might be a consideration we need to make. So we'll yeah. try to be responsive to that. We certainly good appreciate meeting. that time. Sorry. It was a good meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, great. Thank you, everybody. Uh, in that case, until November 18th is the next meeting. So. Yeah, but remember in the meantime, um, we will be sending you all the list of opportunities. So if you do have some time and want to join us at a table, we would love to have you um, as we begin embarking on this uh, community conversation. Sounds good. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.